Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Welcome to another episode of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released. Today we are talking about tape. Uh, my name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Bryden Doyle. Hello. And Charlie Nash. Hello. And a super, super special guest. I cannot believe that he agreed because Podcast Like It's 1999 is one of the reasons I wanted to make a podcast like this, talking about niche, talking about niche movies like this, where, of course... When I first got to your podcast, it was the Blair Witch Project episode, which oh, wow. that's my favorite movie. And then I just got more and more into the to the B-sides, to the C-sides that you guys are talking about. And it just really <laughs> made me fall back in love with movies. It's uh, it's Phil Esco from one half of the podcast, like it's 1999. How are you, sir? I, I am good. I, I, I mean, that's 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 lovely to hear. I'm glad that uh, that, that uh, you know, we were able to make you fall back in love with movies. I don't I don't really know. That's a glowing endorsement i hope that uh you know other people like it as much as you do oh i'm sure i will everybody that i've put onto it love it so i i thank you thank you yeah what were you saying i I will also say it's great to have a fellow canadian on the show right you're ah yeah i am (laughs) i am i'm from toronto originally excellent yep i was born in toronto so yeah perfect i was just there for for tiff actually nice yeah oh what do you see I saw The Fablemans, uh, Glass Onion, The Whale, and Sanctuary. And a friend of mine had a film called uh, Past and Future Guest, uh, Chandler Levac, had uh, I, I Like Movies there as well, which is oh, really good. Okay. Nice. I want to see that. Which is fantastic. They, I mean, truly, they were all, I was I was very lucky, all good movies. I mean, some some perhaps better than others or more enjoyable than others. You know, the whale is not really a movie that you can say you really enjoy, but uh, but it exists and it has a very good has very good performances. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the Fablemans getting to see that you know with Spielberg and everyone in attendance at the gala and uh, and and Glass Onion as well was with the cast and Ryan Johnson was was really special. Hell yeah! Nice. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see all of those. Uh, so you're saying you're not going to like have a party and like have friends over to watch the whale or something like that? I, I'm saying that that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, listen, it's a, it's. I, I think that when it's released, it'll have. A, I imagine a pretty divisive reaction from people. Aaron oh, yeah. is not happy unless he's getting that sort of reaction out of people. It seems, but uh, mm-hmm. um, I mean, listen, it, it certainly seems like Brendan Fraser is going to be nominated as he should be. Um, it's just. Uh, I think it gets a little bit muddled in its themes and what it's trying to say and, and how it's executed. Um, you know, Aronofsky, as we all know, is a very visceral, visual, somewhat horrific filmmaker. Um, and, and there's, <laughs> you know, I, I do wonder whether or not there's something to be said for um, uh, making a, a 300 or so pound man seem like he's in the middle of a, a as though he's a monster from a horror movie. I think that there's yeah. Yeah. Uh, just something something a little bit uh, grotesque about it. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, again, Aronofsky wouldn't be happy unless he's eliciting some sort of uh, reaction out of people. So he'll definitely get that, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cer- certainly going to see it. Um, I mean, we've oh, covered yeah. Pi and Requiem on the pod already. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I even love Mother, which I know is also very polarizing. But I've yeah, yeah I've been interested in seeing people's reactions for this one because I know some Aronofsky stands who love it, and some who have defended him up until this one, and they're like, uh, no, like like okay, this this is the one where it goes too far for me. I, you know, I don't I don't know that I I, I wouldn't say that for me personally. Uh, I I think that it just um, the best way to put it. I, I think that it's actually a very open-hearted movie. It's very much a movie about a, a man who uh, suffers from guilt from abandoning his wife and child. And uh, it, it's it's very much about him trying to reconnect with his daughter. Sadie Sink is, is wonderful in it. I, I think that just fundamentally, um, it's at odds with some of the previous Aronofsky work. He's not a particularly emotional guy in that regard. Um, you know, to, to be that sort of like, um, quite frankly, sentimental, uh, is just not a word I would ever associate with him. Um, so there's this kind of at odds with itself a little bit in terms of, um, his usual, you know, visual, uh, bravara mixed with horrific elements and sentimentality. And like, it's just, it's, 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 it's a, it's a lot, it's just a lot of a movie. And I mean, and I, and I certainly am, I'm glad it exists. I don't think it'll be a movie I'll ever watch again. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Brendan Fraser is is uh, putting everything he's got on the screen. And you have to respect someone who sees an opportunity like this to be able to get back in people's good graces. So that's, uh, yeah. you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's special. He's going to win an, a belated... This Oscar win is going to be for Bedazzled, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> it might be. Or, or yeah. Blast from the Past. Oh, or hell Dudley yeah. Dudley Do-Right, quick. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God, Dudley Do-Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. An underappreciated 99 film, Dudley Do-Right, if you I need me. to rewatch it. I, especially you, I mean, I especially Kenny, Kenny was like, holy fuck, this movie. I was like, Dudley I mean, Do-Right? Yeah. You're going to hitch your I horse mean, to this? It, it hits Kenny right in the in the, in the the solar plexus when it comes to how he loves to love something that <laughs> uh the, the unexpected let's put it that way um mm -hmm. and uh i was surprised too i was like wait a second why did why did this first of all why does this movie exist but also oh, yeah. like why did why did people it's yeah it's a crazy movie i i'm 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 actually truthfully uh a fan too so hell yeah uh speaking of unexpected somebody said mm -hmm. unexpected i'm just gonna go with that uh yeah, tape sure from 2001 tape. well interesting because the whale is based on a play right and tape is also a play adaptation so it kind of like yes it's, and yeah. so is chelsea right. wall so yeah as is uh as is chelsea wall yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yep yep we're good at segues anyways uh tape premiered at tape. sundance january 2001 uh it was at tiff september 2001 uh it opened to seven theaters november 2nd 2001 and expanded to 35 theaters uh uma thurma was nominated for best supporting actress at the indie spirit awards this was a budget of uh, $100,000, opening weekend, 28000 domestic gross of four ninety, and an overall gross of $515,000. Uh, strap in for this. Uh, top five films that weekend is Monsters, Inc., okay. The One, the new metal classic, The One, mm. uh, Domestic ah. Disturbance, oh. K-Pax, and 13 Ooh. Ghosts. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Thur13EN Ghosts. <laughs> oh, no. um, yeah, yeah. You know, I did I, this movie, which I did see. Um, I did not see it in the theater. If I'm being honest, I'm not sure it even got a theatrical release in Toronto. It might have, um, and if it did, it was very, very limited. Yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a very big Richard Linklater fan. Um, let me rephrase: the stuff of his that I love, I love. 
the stuff of his that I don't love. Mm-hmm. I, I don't love. Um, he's a he's a spotty filmmaker. Um, you know, I think he he just needs to like, you know, do his own thing. He can't be in the studio system. I, I think the only studio film of his that works is is uh, School of Rock. That's a great, one. Um, yeah. which is a great movie. Um, <laughs> But uh, so I remember this coming out. I remember seeing it. I worked at, I'm sure I was, I was at a video store at the time. Um, yeah, this is like right in the September 11th corridor. Like this is not, uh, this is not yeah. a great time yeah. to be, uh, to be um, in theaters, I imagine. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird. You know, the funny, eh, funny is the wrong word. Mm-hmm. I, September 11th didn't have, I imagine... <laughs> a particularly detrimental effect on the actual theatrical experience because unlike something like COVID or people wanted to escape shootings, um, people could go to the theaters without uh, feeling, you know, scared. Um, This is just not a movie that it was going to play under really any circumstances. I imagine like this was, this was obviously a very small movie, but um, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, so Kenny and I did a screen drafts episode on um, hotel motel movies oh. mm-hmm. um, about uh, a few months ago. And um, I watched tape in preparation for that, thinking that it might make the seven. Um, it just didn't make it for me. Um, but, and I think part of it is, I'm curious as to what you guys think in terms of how well this film is aged it's doing a very, very tricky dance, even for 2001, but 2022, maybe more so in terms mm-hmm. of like gender politics and date rape and what exactly that means. And, you know, the that sort of line that the movie is walking is, uh, is tricky. Um, but I think it does it pretty mm-hmm. well, all things considered, mm-hmm. probably because ultimately Uma Thurman's character is empowered by the end of the film. Yeah. Oh yeah. She walks away with the end yeah. of it. Definitely. Yeah. That's probably why it works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that it's also three tricky because yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, I guess it's also tricky because she's able to say what really happened without us really knowing what happened. Right. It, she's able right. to steal agency away from both of them in order to walk away triumphant. Totally. Which is totally. very thorny. Yeah in some ways but yeah i mean it's it's a prickly movie and and i would argue that like Linklater doesn't generally traffic in subject matter like this no there's like the the rare occasions where he gets kind of this bitter and angry i feel like those are the times when he kind of doesn't work with audiences like suburbia and this and, and fast food nation too which is like a weirdly angry movie and then like i feel like those are the ones that i don't know that Fast Food Nation? You mean Fast Food? Oh, Fast Food Nation. Sorry, I misheard. No, no, no. Yeah, that, that, that's the one where like he's like kind of like trying to make a big yeah, yeah, angry yeah, statement. Yeah, yeah. And I saw that. Yeah, it's, I mean, that movie's a little all over the place, but like it is interesting just like as sort of a contrast to like a lot of his like sort of feel good movies and everything. Or like movies that are like kind of like pleasant vibes. But yeah, I guess there's anger coursing through like Days of Confused, like you know, where like people are like very hostile to each other, like paddling and everything. But it's, yeah. I mean, those three films that you mentioned, Days to Confuse, Fast Food Nation, and Suburbia, are all about um, uh, teenage, early twenties ennui, yeah. um, and which is obviously very much his his lane. You know, I I, I feel like um, Suburbia, also based on a play right. by Eric Bogosian, 
um, is a more complex movie than tape. Hmm. I mean, tape is essentially, I mean, it's very much a play, right? One set, yes. Yes. one location mm-hmm. um, shot for basically nothing on digital in a way that I actually don't hate. There oh, was I a time it. when obviously digital was cost effective, but just looked like absolute dog shit. Yeah, and, <laughs> and this movie weirdly makes that work. Yes. Um, whereas there are films that I just can't get on board with that just look so bad. They just, I mean, we're going to talk about <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah, Chelsea, yeah. Chelsea Walls being a prime example of that. Um, yeah. Again, like it's, it was a weird time because I understood that directors were um, emboldened to snag a video camera, make a movie for, you know, around a hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, it, it, it must've been exciting to do that. Um, and it freed them up to do films that they might not get to make otherwise. The problem, of course, being that the barrier of the visuals was so severe back in the day that it was just really hard to get people to get on board. I mean, like Time Code, do you remember that fucking movie? I need to watch it, but yeah. Um, the, the uh, God, uh, Mike Figgis movie, I believe. Mike Figgis, yeah. Um, you know, again, there were just movies that were just like rubbing your face in just like dog shit visuals, hoping that you could like really, really lock into the thesis statement of their movies. And and more times than not, they just weren't capable of doing so. But mm-hmm. um, but I do think that like of the three films you mentioned, I would say Suburbia is my favorite. Sure. Yes. Tape probably being a close second. And, and Fast Food Nation is his most muddled because it's very much a, um, as I'm sure everyone knows who's listening to this but you know it's based on a, a book of nonfiction, so it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a little preachy and it's a lot of like throwing facts at you um which is just not his that's just not like later's thing he should have just made a documentary based on it is really what he should have done yeah, yeah the best parts of that movie are like when the actors are able to kind of make the didactic stuff happen like ethan hawk is in that movie and there's a scene where he is like it's like basically him and patricia arquette like just talking about like yo college topic debates and everything and it's like this is bad on the page but like they are able to make the loosest of it like work but it's like also very clear to see what he's doing with the script yeah so a hundred percent you know it's it's interesting because like i was i just rewatched. i bought um okja on uh criterion the the 4k it's a great movie Mm -hmm. um and looks gorgeous in 4k um kind of says what fast food nation wants to say infinitely better than fast food nation possibly could <laughs> yeah, yeah obviously it's baked inside a fable and it's you know bong just being a genius but uh fast food nation is just kind of a mess and, and i'll tell you the thing that stayed with me which i imagine was the point is the last thing in the movie is that horrible sequence where you're seeing like fucking cows get slaughtered yeah. and you're just like I, I want out of this movie theater um so <laughs> yeah. it's just it was just a, it's a rough ride that movie's that movie's tough uh this movie's not that this movie is, I mean, I, I, I it's interesting. Um, Ethan Hawke, I'm going on a Ethan Hawke podcast, uh, I guess in a few weeks, or maybe it's in January, I don't remember, but I'm going to go on <laughs> to talk about Boyhood. Um, and then I've been watching his documentary series on uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, mm, which is yeah, yeah. Max, which is tremendous. Um, He's he's one of those guys who he's also walking a very fine line because I feel like sometimes he tips into full on pretension, which we will obviously talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, I do feel like maybe it's because my indoctrination into Ethan Hawke was Reality Bites, mm-hmm. 
and Troy Dyer as a character has so sort of like, I don't know how much acting was going on. Let's put it that way. Like, I feel like that was in a lot of ways Ethan Hawke at that time, right? Mm -hmm. And not to project too much onto his role, but it did feel like he is that guy, right? He's that guy who's read a million books, who loves to tell you he's read, read a million books and he's written books. And he's like, he's just, he's an artist. Yeah. Um, I listened to his commentary for Chelsea Walls 1000%. I can only imagine. Um, I was not going to subject myself to that, but I do (laughs) feel like um, he's had a a, a, a pretty great resurgence, which I have to kind of, which is exciting, right? Like I think First Reformed was one of those, like people were like, holy fuck. And then like- That was my favorite male lead performance of that year first reformed is just incredible yeah it's crazy he didn't get nominated for it Uh and then what's uh the the um the showtime thing that he did the limited good lord bird that's supposed to be really good good lord bird yeah 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 Yeah. Mm -hmm. which i again not nominated so there's this weird like ethan Hawke's blind spot that the industry has for him which i think probably just has to do with the fact that like you know he was kind of heart throbby kind of leading man thing that I just don't think that I'm not sure what he should have been nominated for both those performances, but he's really good in this. I mean, he's playing just, you know, your classic fucking yeah. so later, good. you know, so shithead, but like, that's kind of the thing. He's good. He's, yeah. He's so good. I um, think he mentioned that it was his first quote adult role. I think he's oh, interesting. Huh? Interesting. Yeah. He which is yeah. Right. yeah. I, I met Ethan Hawke very briefly because I work at the Coolidge Corner Theater, as I mentioned a few times on this podcast. Just the mm-hmm. sweetest guy. Just so delightful. He had uh, come in to screen Blaze, uh, which came out a few years ago, and um, we were all just, like, on a break eating Thai food, and he was just like, so this is where the party's at, and we are all like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and Motherfucker, um, you were in Snow Falling on Cedars, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And, and leave. <laughs> Another 99 masterpiece right there. Yeah. Um, and I got my friend into the screening of Blaze that he had, and Leave Ullman came to uh, the screening of it, and my friend was sitting directly in front of her, like, just one row, and then Ethan Hawke and Leave Ullman were having this tender moment, and she was just like, I have no idea what to do right now, I feel like I'm in the middle of something I should not, like, this is so intimate and pure that I feel like I can't even, like, process this right now, and then apparently, uh, after he left the theater, he went into one of our offices and called Richard Linklater and said, you will not believe who was at my movie tonight, which was so sweet. Um, That's kick's ass. Yeah. Um, And I was talking to my roommate last night after having just watched Chelsea Walls and, you know, don't care for that movie, which bummed me out, but he said, you know what Ethan Hawke reminds me of? Like, a more pure-hearted James Franco in certain ways. Like, oh, my God. In, like, that he had, like, similar, like, pretend, like pretentious, like, aspirations, but, like, Ethan Hawke always feels sincere, in a way, and never, and is yep. always aware of his limitations, whereas James Franco's just a piece of shit who thinks he can adapt Faulkner and all this stuff. Like, I don't know. I like, think that I do. I, I don't disagree. I think that's that, what that's that, what all my, my roommate said in terms of like, yeah, which I thought was very funny. And it was just like, oh, I, I can see that. You know, like, <laughs> I do think that, I mean, it's an in- interesting comparison. I mean, obviously, they're, they're, um, there's just pretty significant age difference between Ethan Hawke and, and mm-hmm. James Franco. And I think that, like, Ethan Hawke never fully became like the thing about James Franco is that he's just always been a good looking guy. Um, he knows he's yeah. a good looking guy. And, you know, even from the jump, 
if you want to look at like Freaks and Geeks in 99 or then, you know, ultimately Spider-Man mm. a few years after that, which really kind of puts him on the map. He's just, you know, he kind of he kind of drinks his own Kool-Aid, um, just sort of just, you know. Who oh, yeah. I think that Ethan Hawke is probably pretentious than James Franco in terms of, I guess they both fucking write novels. They both think. I don't know. He whatever. didn't. I mean, they're both pretty uh, douchey. I mean, Ethan Hawke did an adaptation of Hamlet, but never tried to pretend like what he was doing was like this big, important, grandiose thing. And like when it came mm-hmm. out, I would say he was more like, I mean, he's given interviews now where he's like, yeah, it was just my take on it. And I was kind of hurt when it came out, but you move on. Whereas James Franco, I feel like is trying to, I, I don't know. It was also my roommate's comparison that I'm now just trying to process out loud. So I'm just sure. thinking about it. Uh, yeah. Like I, I, I always get a sense of, uh, purity and open heartedness from Ethan Hawke's work of trying to be an artist in sort of similar authoristic ways that James, Fra- but yeah, he, he never really seems to like drink his Kool-Aid. He's just like, I produced this and I wanted to share this with the world and whether or not they like it or not. James Franco's always looking for some sense of acclaim or right. approval that, you know, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned that there was a really good piece that the AV club published a few years ago uh, by Alexander Halls, who talked about how, good an actor Ethan Hawke was not just like in like general but like also like how he like really commits to like genre work like if even if it's something like silly like Sinister or Daybreakers you know the vampire movie he always seems like he's oh, just yeah. like giving this 100% like you know performing in the movie whereas like I know Franco some people really criticize I mean he's criticized for many things uh but like he is also criticized for his performances how like in some of the bigger budget movies how he just like doesn't seem to want to be there like that's like a thing that where he seems kind of like he's outside the material or like feeling like he's above it whereas hawk does not i feel like that's a criticism i see less with hawk whereas like that guy just like hawk is generous hawk is generous to me whereas franco never knows how to share ever i'll say this i no 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 i i do think that uh, the other thing that should be said is that you know franco uh like has kind of like two lanes or three lanes if you will like there's the 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 full-on broad comedy lane and then there's like mm. I'm doing something serious lane, and then there's like the stuff he does to get paid. Um, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to look any further than Oz, the Great and Powerful, to just be like he clearly just took a paycheck, and he's just so fucking sleepwalking through that movie. But oh, like, yeah. but then you know, you see him in 127 hours, and like it's a really good performance. It is, it is his best. It, he's very good, at it, yeah. And and he really shows up. I think with Ethan Hawke, though, if I'm being completely frank, I don't know that, like, I don't know that the big paycheck, big, big paycheck movies, like, ever really came knocking. Like, I don't know that there was ever, like, a giant tentpole movie yeah. that was necessarily, like, we really want Ethan Hawke. And that's not a slight against him. But I do feel like you see him in Moon Knight, which is such a fucking weird show. I didn't even finish it. But, like, I do think that, like, <laughs> he's excited to be playing in that sandbox. And whether or not those mm-hmm. opportunities came before and he turned them down or I don't know. Did you guys, I don't know if you saw, I think it was a few months ago. He had a thing on uh, Criterion um, where um, he was interviewed. You know, they do their adventures in filmmaking yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. thing. Yeah. And he talked for like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, just sort of about like his path, his career to some degree or another. And like what, ex- what kind of, uh, gets him excited about filmmaking and what and he was he's again like in his older age I feel like he has you know that prickliness that shitty I'm hot shit 
young guy bravado has rounded off a little bit and he does now have a bit of a dad energy that Mm -hmm. i think is working for Mm -hmm. him um and i i think that that's part of why i think people are kind of in he's ingratiated himself a little bit more with people over the last, you know, five to 10 years, you know, and now like with Maya, her career taking off too, I feel like in a weird way, that's kind of buoyed him a little bit too. Um, So I think that Mm -hmm. that's all interesting. I mean, the thing about his performance in tape ultimately is that like, he he doesn't seem like a shithead at first. You don't really understand what his motives are, you know, and then by the end, you're really kind of unclear as to between him and Robert Sean Leonard, who's actually like the bad guy in that equation um, because we'll mm-hmm. ultimately probably never really know what transpired between him and Uma Thurman back in the day, which I respect about the movie. I, I, I think that like, listen, I think that most plays uh, traffic in this type of material um, where there isn't sort of clear cut answers to people's moral questions and, and, and choices. And uh, I think that that's what makes um, theater so great and why um movies like this don't make money i mean well, yeah. I, not to not to be mm-hmm. blunt about it but it's you know people go to the movies more times than not because they want to uh be told something right they don't want to be challenged mm-hmm. they don't really want to have to think very much they want it to be laid out for them and then they leave the theater feeling better about their lives which isn't a, an unreasonable thing to expect from art um but you know that's why movies like this that are complicated and messy and, and uh, are, are um, exciting. The choice to respect people is actually a good one, despite people like you who insist on calling fat people fat to their faces. And what if they are fat? Yeah! <laughs> it gets stranger every year. Clear! <laughs> Where's Lamp? He broke up. Tell me what happened. Oh, I get stranger every year. <laughs> Who's out here? Who? Amy. You still feel bad about Amy Randall. Admit it. What even makes you think I did something? Because I know. Does anybody else know what happened? I didn't tell anyone. I highly doubt that she even remembers it. <laughs> Listen, John, you really should get going. She's only a couple minutes away. How could you do something like that? It offends you? It offends me immensely. My apologizing now won't make any difference to her. John. Hey, Amy. What are you doing here? I'm an assistant district attorney. You basically prosecute criminals? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad you're not fat. <laughs> Is that right? I highly doubt if I wasn't one of your oldest friends, I would even possess the power to make you think twice. That's assuming you are thinking twice. Where did you get this whole self-righteous thing? It's really not like you to have a spine. <laughs> I don't want there to be a communication gap. Tell me again what happened. Do you not think that something happened? Well, of course something happened. Don't be an idiot. They will arrest you. <laughs> it's never too late to one-up your best friend. That's, that's very good. No! You picked the most important weekend of my life to bring up something I haven't even thought about in 10 years. So what did you do? <laughs> Can you please just tell me the truth? I am. Why does it have to be like this? I'm not a very moral guy, John. No, you just want the last word, and you know what? It's not yours to have. Quick initial thoughts. I mean, yeah, I saw this five, six years ago and was just completely fucking blown away by it. And rewatching it today, I still love it. Love the way it's shot. Ethan Hawke is, in the commentary on tape, he was just like, I don't think I'll ever get a role better than this. 
which wow. maybe not. I don't know. But I mean, just, first reforms a pretty good role. Yeah, well, first reformed. Yeah. Good yeah. Lord, pretty good role. And, yeah. And honestly, his uh, work with Linklater, that's like where he gets like some of his best. Yeah. Work. Like it's yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Him yeah. and Before Midnight is pretty pretty unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, all the Before oh. movies. I mean, well, yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. But yeah, I I. I'm always a fan, one, of just really dialogue-heavy movies and also set in one night and real-time, blah, blah, blah. So this scratches all of that at once. And, um, yeah, just the waves that uh, Ethan Hawke's character goes where you're on his side, not on his side, and then you're just like, I don't, I don't fucking know anymore. Um, and then Robert Sean Leonard is really just fucking phenomenal in this once Uma Thurman shows up and her expressions. To, I was... Well, being that I'd seen this before, I was definitely watching her before they start talking about the actual yeah. incident, and she's just so standoffish about him, and it's just really weird. And she, yeah, she's she's also phenomenal. But uh, Bryden, quick initial thoughts. Yeah, this was a, a gap in Linklater's filmography that I had never seen before. It's got kind of a mixed rep uh, reputation. I feel like some people who are even fans of Linklater are kind of are down on this one, uh, but I really liked it a lot. I you know it's. It's interesting, I have not read or seen the play that this is based on, but I feel like it's a really good adaptation in the sense that, like, Linklater still finds ways with, like, the limited location uh, and just, like, the, you know, minimal number of actors, like, to make this movie cinematic and everything, where, like, you know, the ways that, like, he's able to, like, enhance the claustrophobia and everything, where it's, like, you know, uh, whip panning, you know, between, you know, Robert Sean yeah. Leonard and Ethan Hawke, when, like, they're, like, really, like, verbally sparring with each other or, like, the violent, like the way that like Ethan Hawke like stabs like the knife into like the beer when he's like shotgunning it. Like there's a really like kind of aggressive violent energy to the way this film was just like cut together. And uh yeah, like the performances are all like pitch perfect. I mean Ethan Hawke like in a way he's like so deceptively laid back at the start, but then like just like in the in a in a moment he will just like reveal like his true intentions and everything where he'll be like, you know, you know, like attacking people and everything and like boxing them in. And then Robert Sean Leonard is like the perfect like condescending asshole and everything where he's like you know, just, like, constantly, like, waving his hands away and everything like that. So, like, he's just, like, oh, come on. Like, this isn't that bad and everything. Like, the way he's, like, so flippant about, like, his own, like, denial and this whole thing. And then Uma Thurman, yeah, like like you said, Kevin, the, the facial expression she has near the movie. I mean, the way that she is, like, kind of, like, nervously laughing about everything. And then, like, when Ethan Hawke finally, like, gets the courage to, like, ask about, like, what what they're there for. Like, the way, like, the her face is just sort of frozen and disgust is just, like so chilling and everything because it just like places you in her headspace and everything and yeah no and i, I the, the movie subject matter like the perspective could be seen as a bit questionable yes like from like especially because it is so male-centered but then of course i think that's the point of the movie and then the the fact that it doesn't really give them any kind of the male characters who are any kind of satisfaction near the end at least and like just like so pitiful like you know like at the end where like they're just like so pathetic i mean that that i think is and yes giving thurman like the last not necessarily the last word in the movie but like the last full sentence uh and like mm -hmm. and then like mm -hmm. stuffing out any sense of like uh any possibility of redemption for the male characters i think that like really helps the movie and then the the the, the needle drop at the end is just like the perfect like sort of knife twist uh note to end this yes. movie on it's mm -hmm. just a perfect cherry on top yeah so i really really like this one a lot um, I would say, I would say real quick that the that the line that Uma is talking to Ethan Hawke about like why did you do this I did this for you no you did this for you is pretty much that can kind of answer all of the gender problems of it all it's just yeah. just like these guys really think one of them really thinks that he's either convinced himself something's happened the other one is trying to help Uma Thurman but really he's just trying to 
make himself feel better that that she didn't sleep with him and this is a revenge on both of them because he doesn't care about either of them yeah uh charlie quick initial thoughts yeah mirroring both of you i i watched this um for the first time at weirdly in lockdown which is a weird time to watch this movie for the first time uh i agree with you uh all about i like the digital photography that motel really does it makes the motel feel as grimy and claustrophobic and i don't want to It'd be anywhere in this room at all times, but it's so perfectly fitting the tone and honestly, everything thematically. Um, yeah, I think the performances are all great. It's a, you know, very provocative, uh, queasy, uh, dicey movie that I definitely think because of, yeah, the way Uma Thurman's character uh, takes control in the end makes it absolutely worth watching. It's not something like... Um, uh, Oleana, for example, which I have not read the play or seen the play on stage, but I've seen the movie and, you know, David Mamet's a piece of shit, but I think he can be a really talented filmmaker if incredibly problematic, uh, especially considering who he has revealed himself to be ever since Trump took office. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But like that movie, (laughs) similar themes, and uh, and it's it just made me feel gross in a way that was just like, no, I think David Mamet, this is more not as even handed as you uh, think it is. And ultimately, I think you're. Uh, problems with these uh, uh, politics are uh, questionable and problematic at best. So, yeah, I like this one a lot. It's also fascinating to me, um, Phil, like you mentioned earlier, I'm also in the same boat where I don't love everything Linklater's made, but the stuff I love, I really love. Um, And it's interesting to me that it's sandwiched in between two of his movies that I do love that all three of them are different because Waking Life came out earlier this year which is so colorful and bright and wondrous and just very dialogue driven all about dream logic and could not be more separate than this which is so grounded in reality and so it's a dirty movie you know and then on top of that school of rock came out two years later and was his biggest mainstream hit and that movie is just like you know, I watched that in lockdown and it like cured my depression for two days. So like, uh, you know, and he uses that to, to get before sunset. Yeah. Yeah. Before sunset, one of his best movies, I adore the before trilogy. It's also, I'm thinking about, cause we mentioned earlier that like when he, it comes to adults, he does kind of have a tendency to get angry and a little, um, I don't want to say uglier, but like, I think I remember a lot of people when before midnight came out, didn't like it as much as the first two because there's that whole extensive argument that Ethan That's Hawk fucking and phenomenal. Julie That's Delpy the reason have. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's the reason I love it too, but I remember even my parents were just like, you don't say that to someone you love. Like, stuff <laughs> like that. Or they were just so upset by the movie, and I'm like, but it feels real and raw and honest, and I think there is something about um, that, that, that like, if, like, if you were to watch everybody wants some which is a film i know a lot of people love i'm more like i'm positive on it but didn't love it um i think a lot of people could walk away from link later with a certain aspect of like what he uh, what his uh uh mentality is on like gender dynamics in a certain way but then you watch something like this and you're just like oh no it's just like he's dealing with a certain particular age group and then analyzing gender dynamics in a certain way. Um, I mean, and I, I think that um, the other thing that is fascinating and also very upsetting watching this movie 
in a post Me Too world is just knowing about this time around, especially because the first time I was just like, I don't know where this is going and I'm in for the ride. I could not help but think about Uma Thurman's performance and what we know now about oh, what happened yeah. with Weinstein and mm-hmm. why that performance worked so much in me. I was like, how much of this is like actual rage being projected into this movie and how much of it is sort of, you know, uh, it, and it, it's, it, it really, you know, uh, it really haunted me this time around, uh, knowing what we know now about how Weinstein totally sabotaged her career and what he did to her. And um, I, I, yeah, it's it's a powerful film that still, I, I don't think everything is squeaky clean, but it's not supposed to be. So, and that's what gives it its its power. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that... Um... I mean, Linklater, is, he's got a weird career, and and I do feel like he's just had a lot of ups and downs, and the ups tend to be on his own accord, and the downs tend to be things that, that perhaps he felt like, this is the smart movie for me to make. Um, right. I should make the the Zac Efron, Orson Welles movie. Ooh, um, I should, you know what I mean? I, no, I, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I should, I should make the Newton boys. Like, I, again, like, these aren't these aren't like unwatchably bad movies. They're just, they, they just don't make sense from him. I mean, say what you will about everybody yeah. wants some. It was a, it was a passion project of his. He wanted to make a spiritual sequel to Days and Confused in a lot of ways. And, and, and it is. Um, but again, like, you know, he keeps sort of cashing these blank checks that he gets off of sort of other blank checks in a weird way. Like Boyhood's a big hit, which gives him the opportunity to make everybody, uh, everybody wants some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then everybody wants him does pretty well, and then he weirdly decides to do uh, where'd you go burn a debt of all movies. Well, no, he does it. He does it after he does Last Flag Flying, which also doesn't hit. Oh, well. another movie that you're just like, why did he make this movie as well? I do, I do like that movie, but yeah, it, it does not, not hit at all. It's not bad, yeah. but yeah, it's not it's, bad, but it's 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 not him. Last Flag Flying, if I'm being completely honest, is one of those like on paper, I get it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you want to make a sequel to Five Easy Pieces with these enormously talented older actors. Sure. But like Linklater is not the guy to do that. Like there's so many other filmmakers that make more sense in that movie or to make that movie. Like the, the, the reality is that Linklater is at his best when he is making small, intimate movies of people fucking talking, period. Yep. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of it. And the reason Boyhood's such a masterpiece is that he did that, but he like, you know, he just sort of expanded it and the into the scope of a lifetime, right? Like he right. basically mm-hmm. just was like, "I'm going to do what I do, but I'm just going to shoot it in increments, and I'm going to show like it, it's it's such a simple thing, right? Like he didn't use any special effects; he just fucking checked in with the same kid every couple of years. Like it's it's yeah. it's the most sort of like Linklater-esque thing to do. And I would argue, I don't know, I don't know what the fuck this Merrily, Merrily all along or whatever oh. the fucking thing that he's doing oh, right yeah. now, yeah. which is also using the same technique. Who knows? Maybe that movie will be great. I don't know. Who knows? But I, but I, and I, 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 I have full faith in him. I will always check out what he's doing next, but um, yeah, just weird. Where'd You Go Bernadette was the weirdest choice and a weird ass <laughs> movie that like everything about it makes no sense to me. And 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 I love all the players. 
Like, yeah, yeah. I love the book. I think Kate Blanchett's obviously one of the best actors around. I love Linklater. Uh, I think that, that, uh, um, uh, oh my God, the guys that did the original draft before Linklater did it, uh, uh, Newstetter and Weber oh. are, I like, I like a lot of their work. Like, all the pieces were there, and then you sit in the theater, just like, "What the fuck am I watching?" <laughs> Three great tastes that don't taste great together. Yeah, right. <laughs> but all this is to say that, like, when you look at tape, which is such a sort of, you know, um, you said this best earlier, but like, Waking Life and Tape coming out in the same year is like such a one-two punch from Linklater, of like mm-hmm. low-fi high-minded ideas and just kitchen sink stuff and like that's when he's at his best like i think waking life is weirdly slept on like it's a movie that i keep waiting for fucking film twitter to be like wait a second everybody waking life's a fucking masterpiece what are you doing well it's i don't think it's really on streaming and the only blu-ray is the arrow blu-ray which is region b so maybe it just needs a little push (laughs) or something like that i think it might be on Disney plus here in canada because it's a fox is it because it's a fox movie i think so like that's that's how we get like a lot of the properties uh through that's but that to me is that's a prime criterion thing right like criteria just fucking buy waking life and just like go all out and and give it the give it what it's due because I remember seeing it in the theater you know in one and just being like what what is this like just not fully getting it at the time <laughs> it's a, because it's a it's, fever it's, dream it, yeah. yeah it's oh yeah it's such a fucking like get high and watch waking life thing like clearly it's for potheads <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Say the two guys that are vaping while we're while we're recording. Not um, weed. Not weed. <laughs> not weed. No, no judgment. Not weed. No, no judgment. I mean, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I just I think it's interesting that that movie gets made. I imagine the budget on Waking Life is real low. It's all um, what's the fucking technology when you draw over it? Why am I drawing? Rotoscope. Yeah. Rotoscoping. Rotoscoping. Um, and it's like great. It, it's I mean maybe the best rotoscoping I've ever seen. I, I mean, I Scanner Darkly is another fucking yeah, weirdo something. Linklater uh, movie. Waking which... Life budget of $2 million, which is pretty impressive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but what was, the, what was the budget on Scanner Darkly out of curiosity? Because, uh, like, Scanner yeah. Darkly was another one of those, like... 8700000 million. Okay. That's a, that's a slept-on Linklater film. That's a better movie than people give credence to. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and his last rotoscoping movie, the new one, Apollo Ten and a Half, is actually pretty good too. Uh, I know some people are kind of that's the one that's like kind of ambling, but like it, it works. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's I just there's there's a there's kind of no one really doing what he's doing, but it's also like he needs to hit like a bullseye in order for it to like really connect, and even yeah. then, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, quick trivia from the commentary. Clear. There was a there was yeah. a few good stuff. There was a well, every he you know, Linklater said that everybody was just like, "Wow, you just got like two cameras and went into a hotel." He's like, "Motherfucker, we made the set." Like, but thanks because apparently it looks real. Um, it did were, look real. I never questioned that. Yeah, it, it did look real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they rehearsed for a week and shot it in six days, which is just beautiful. Uh, shot on two consumer model Sony cameras. Linklater was interested in shooting on early HD, but he said that only two protocols type cameras were out and george lucas had one which i assume is what he shot attack of the clones on and vim vendors had the other wow um, like i said the budget was a hundred thousand dollars produced by indig int 
which also produced uh, Chelsea Walls for the same amount. And their philosophy that Hawk says in the Chelsea Walls commentary is that we're going to give 10 directors $100,000, shoot it on DV, whatever. And they also did that with uh, Pieces of April and Tadpole and Personal Velocity, a bunch of other DV shot movies. So pretty pretty interesting stuff that they were doing, but um, apparently they I, went out yeah. of business after um, they were just like <laughs> yeah. they were like we went out of business after we tried to do the Charlotte's Web Paramount movie. It was just like how did from tape to sh- sure okay. Um, and then lastly, Ethan Hawke had a really yeah. funny line where he says um, he's on the commentary. And he's like, "Here's my character doing a celebratory line of coke, which reminds me that I was nominated for best actor by High Times." And I always thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the, the notion of giving ten filmmakers a hundred thousand dollars and like go off and make a movie is it is an interesting idea, um, <laughs> but <laughs> but maybe maybe not the most fiscally responsible thing in the world to do. Like I I, I do wonder if because you're quote unquote spending so little money whether or not you're kicking the tires hard enough on set ideas but right. <laughs> I mean. yeah it's a, it's interesting in practice and that, that there was a company like 20 years ago it's like yeah sure we'll burn the place sure. down who cares <laughs> at least we'll have a uh, yeah Chelsea I mean, I, walls to look forward to after people that. really like pieces of april um i, I remember seeing tadpole and not hating it but again long time ago don't know how it holds up and i don't, I don't think i ever saw personal velocity i did see it it's pretty good Okay. All right. Yeah, it's got a lot of. It's got Parker Posey, a man who reward, Kira Sedwick, and uh, okay, Faruka right. Bulk, I believe. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, tadpole. I haven't seen. I've heard middling things about it, but it's shot on TV, so I have. To oh, and that makes sense um, actually, because um, Gary Winnick, who did that, and thirteen going on yes. thirty, he's yeah. producer on tape, so that makes sense. Oh wow. Oh, that okay. Makes, that makes sense. Oh, That's okay. awesome. Mm-hmm. There that we makes go. Total sense. A uh, quick rundown of the plot. As we've said, it all takes place sure. in a hotel. There is uh, Vince, played by Ethan Hawke. He's a, a drug dealer and a volunteer firefighter, which whenever he tells Amy he's a firefighter and doesn't say volunteer, and Robert Sean Leonard laughs, which is really yep. good. Yep. Um, but uh, Robert Sean Leonard is in town because he has a movie premiering. He's a documentary filmmaker, and they, they're reminiscent about it, and it's very happy, and you can definitely their chemistry is fucking phenomenal because you know they've been friends for like 15 years so all that reads so well but then i mean they met on the poet society right yep yep Mm -hmm. yep yep yeah um and then they're you know they're reminiscing their happy times but then it's just how the barbs start to grow where it's just like robert sean leonard says one thing and then ethan hawk will laugh it off but then the next time it'll be a little bit more heavier and then it eventually just explodes to Whenever they do get on the topic of Amy, Vince's former girlfriend that Robert Sean Leonard had slept with after they broke up, and then it gets a little bit more heated, and then we learn that perhaps maybe he assaulted her back in the day, and he gets it on mm-hmm. tape, and then Ethan Hawke's performance when he has that tape and he feels so vindicated is chilling but so fucking funny at the same time because he acts yep. like a little kid that got away with something like i said it, we said this about chuck and buck with the dv cams it's just it it makes it feel so claustrophobic and you get so close to actors more so than you could on film and whatnot and when you use it not as a crutch as far budget because Linklater was also talking about this like how just because you're shooting on dv doesn't mean you can like slouch on things so it's like somebody like him this is like his eighth or ninth mm-hmm. movie or whatnot it's just like he's gonna still bring everything he has but a lot of dv movies that's definitely just like oh we can make a movie and we don't know how to make movies but the 
the intimacy that comes with the video camera it's it's pretty pretty good stuff vince becomes obsessed with and tries to get a confession out of john aka robert john leonard he tapes it blah 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 and then he reveals that he already invited amy to come over because she actually lives here and she's a da she comes over once this happens even though i love the the two-part dynamic and whatnot once it becomes a three-hander is when it's 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 at the best when it's this because you have there's a great shot when it's just robert sean leonard and uma thurman going back and forth and it's doing the whip pans and whatnot and ethan hawk is like a scorned child in the literal corner of the room just like he'll say things and be like can you mm-hmm. shut the fuck up <laughs> so great um but she eventually it's you can, uh, this i mean yeah this is the dicey part because it's very hard to tell because we only have this type of we only have sure. this dialogue to know what actually did happen and then she'll say something where you feel like she is um stating that it did happen but mm-hmm. then we'll immediately shut it down or it's just like oh do you think you did that because you had your hand over my mouth and he's just like yeah and he's like why well, let everybody do that and you're just like there's 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 so much going on where she is having just as much fun playing with him that he thinks something happened but maybe it did regardless those scenes there's are a lot of mind fuckery going on for sure. so much yeah and like no matter like the thing is with like the robert tron leonard character is that like no matter whether or not he did it he still sucks because like it's the thing of like if he did it oh yes he's he's a terrible person and if he didn't do it then like it's almost it's even more it's just as fucked up because it's like well why are you like yeah. it's almost like he's bragging or something like that about it and then like you know and like also he just like handles it in, like the most condescending way he's like i don't think i should leave because uh you're not processing this in the right way it's like just like it's like he's just like projecting his own mm-hmm. like like hawk I mean, sure. he's, he's they're both like projecting this sort of like image on like her as like this helpless person who just like has no agency and then she's just like she's like able to take charge at the end of the movie and like it's always able to take she, charge but yeah she also decides to go over to this shitty fucking motel like true why what are you know we and then it's questioning what her true motivations are like if this actually did happen is did she have this motive all along to fuck with them or is did if nothing happened and then she actually genuinely was like why are we here and then oh these two men are fighting over me as if I'm an object and rewriting history and stuff like that. No, no, fuck you. I'm going to fuck you up now. (laughs) Like it's, it's all, but again, yeah. Like I think that that is what makes it so thought provoking. If you know, it, it deals with icky subject matter that is very, uh, you know, I can understand people not wanting to sit through this because of that, but it's also, it also feels very raw and very honest in a lot of ways. And it's stuff like this is never easy or completely um, clean cut, cut, I should say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Subject matter aside, it's already tough to watch because it's just so intense and the awkwardness grows to like, 10th degree whenever she shows up because you know they're eventually going to get to it but you just wish they didn't because the eventuality of it finally shows up and you're just like oh god get me out of here um ethan hawk is just doing so much in these scenes anytime he shouts it's it's still funny even when he's being serious where he's just shouting well you two just hurry the fuck up and figure out what you're supposed to be talking about yep (laughs) it's so good and when he has to when because eventually it, it concludes with her 
calling the DA and saying that uh, Ethan Hawke's character has a large amount of illicit drugs and that uh, Robert Sean Leonard's character look into him because 10 years ago you should have a confirmed case of SAS and then it's back and forth of am I going to leave are you going to come with me and then Robert Sean Leonard says the thing of you know if this is how she processes it then I'll stay and it's just like you're a dick to the end um but oh yeah (laughs) Ethan Hawke is trying to go back and forth you should come with me man come with me and then slams the door and just screams and starts flushing all of his drugs and then he goes wait 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 did did you actually call them? And she's like, no. And he's like, you are evil. <laughs> yeah, and then he has the great line. Is, I mean, she says, like, he's like, you don't know how expensive those drugs were. And she's like, there'll be other drugs. He's like, yeah, but I really liked those ones. And you just like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, Hawk, I mean, whenever his voice, like, goes, like, sort of, like, so scratchy and high, he just, like, sounds, like, so weak and everything throughout this whole thing. Uh, just, and, yeah, it's, uh, the little kick that he does, like, when he's, like, you know, skipping around, like, trying to, like, get like just flailing about there he just like looks so ineffectual like trying to do it uh-huh. totally also the complete lack of self-awareness when he eventually says you are so fucked up it's like dude you you set the stage man like deal with the fucking consequences you <laughs> yep. asshole like, i know i know um but yeah then it leaves with robert sean leonard just sitting down and ethan hawk sitting on the floor after he just flushed all this stuff and then she's just like oh well I'll see you later. And then, of course, that fantastic needle drop. So, and the best part about it, you know what the best part? 86 minutes. Oh, perfect. Just like a yeah, perfect beautiful. Battle of a short movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, final thoughts, what do we have on tape? Where do y'all, uh, I mean, we kind of did talk about it. So if we have any final thoughts, let us know. But Well, we don't have it on tape I... because uh, we're recording on, on computers. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay. But... I mean, I, I, I think it's a, I, I do think it's a really great film. Um, people should should check it out if they can find it. I know it was up on Criterion Channel for a bit there. It still is. Um, yeah. Still is. Yeah, mm-hmm. for a little while. If it still is, that's great. Um, you know, there's DVDs that you can use, DVDs or what have you that you can buy. Um, it's a it's a somewhat tricky film to find, but um, highly recommend people search it out. Yeah, I would say favorite link later. It's it, it's it's between this, maybe before sunset and suburbia. I'll just count all the befores as one but i fucking yeah i this is true yeah, i mean the, the before the before trilogy is is i mean that and boyhood and days to confused i mean those are those are sort of untouchables yeah. in my oh, opinion yeah. um yeah. he has other great films that i really enjoy i think school of rock is unquestionably his most successful studio effort it's just kind of all the things are clicking mike White's script is great jack black is just at his most perfect jack black and and you know, but unfortunately, he's got a lot of things on there too that are just sort of like, let's just call them misguided efforts. So, you know. oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.